One of the great Christian classics of our time is a book by a guy by the name of Charles Sheldon. And it was called In His Steps. And it was written as a novel. And in this book, and I would highly recommend it, there's a small town. And in this town, there are the stories that are given of a number of different particular leaders in the town, a newspaper editor, uh, etc. And they are challenged with a question. That for a given period of time, every decision that they make, particularly major decision that they make, they are to ask themselves this question. What would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? And the novel unfolds with them facing various challenges in life and presenting themselves with the question, what would Jesus do? And they discover that in answering that question and then living out the answer to it, they often made very different decisions than they would have otherwise. What would Jesus do? And in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, that is exactly what the Apostle Paul is challenging the folks at Ephesus, the Christians at Ephesus. What would Jesus do? And he uses the term, be imitators of God. If you have your Bibles, if you'll turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5, and as you do there, look at a little bit of the background to this passage of Scripture. The Apostle Paul had started the church at Ephesus. He's writing a letter to them. And we've seen that this letter we know as the book of Ephesians is like a survival guide. They are facing tremendous temptation because of all the sensuality that is in the city with the worship of the false god Artemis, this great big huge temple that's in the city, and everybody goes down there to worship. In addition to that, Christianity at that time is regarded as a small bunch of weirdos, almost like a cult that are going around the city and are springing up. People don't really know what to do with Christians. They are followers of this guy called Christ who got crucified and supposedly rose from the dead, which most people would have considered just a nice fable or story that they've made up. And so they are trying to figure out how do we relate to the city of Ephesus How do we relate to each other as believers in a a new church? And how do we relate to all these people in this city who in some cases just tolerate us and in other cases despise us and have no use for us? How do we fit in, so to speak? And so in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul begins to speak to that. Now, the backdrop to the fifth chapter is the fourth chapter. And what he says to them in the fourth chapter, in verse 17, is, Now this I say and testify on the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Now he uses an interesting phrase there. He says, I don't want you to walk any longer as the Gentiles do. The term Gentiles wasn't so much referring there to a specific ethnic group as it was to all those folks who aren't following the Lord and serving the Lord. And he goes on to outline exactly how they are walking around in the futility of their mind. And if you just sort of condense it down to what he says is they're just basically walking around stuck on themselves. All they really care about is themselves. It's all about what appeals to me, what gets it for me, what I'm doing for myself, etc. So what he's going to do here in the fifth chapter is he's going to draw a contrast between folks who are living for themselves in a lifestyle where I'm focused on me, what I want, what I like, what gets it for me, and I'm trying to draw attention to myself all the time, and 
that being the way of the world and what it means to be an imitator of God, which is the exact opposite of that. Ephesians chapter 5, beginning with verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Now, what he does here is he says, first of all, I want you to be imitators of God. How do I want you to be an imitator of God? As a beloved child. Now, how do you live out that imitation? Walk in love as Christ loved us. And how did he love us? He gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Now, he uses this term, I want you to be an imitator of God or an imitator of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, when we think of imitation and something being an imitator in our culture, we usually think of something that's sort of a cheap replica of something else. In fact, when we see an imitator, a lot of times we feel like we're almost being cheated out of the real thing. But that was not the idea of this term and this concept in the ancient world. The term imitator meant to follow. And so if you were an imitator, you were a follower of someone. So when he says here, I want you to be imitators of God, what he's saying to them is, I want you to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, of the way that God thinks, the way the Lord Jesus acts, to be a follower. Now, this word is often used, or just about every time the word is used in the Greek language, it carries the idea of continuality of something that is continuously happening. In other words, it is a habit. It's a lifestyle. And so what he's saying here is, I want you to follow in your lifestyle. Then the way you live and the decisions that you make, I want you to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. This isn't just about Sunday morning. This is about Monday morning. This is about Wednesday morning. This is about Friday night, etc. I want you in your decisions, in your lifestyle, in the way you're living, in the way you relate to people, I want you to be a follower of the Lord Jesus. Now, remember Jesus walked up to people, and what did he say to the folks when they became his disciples? He said two words, follow me. Let's say it together. Follow me. That's what he would say to him. Now, what did Jesus mean by following him? He meant that he wanted them to walk with him, to watch what he was doing, to learn from him, to dialogue with him, to participate with him. In other words, this idea of following always carried the idea of involvement and participation. When Jesus said, follow me, he didn't mean I want you to just sort of stand over here and watch from a distance. He was saying, I want you to get up close. I want you to get part, be part of the action. I want you to share in what I'm doing. When I release people from the powers of darkness, I want you to get so close to the powers of darkness you can feel the hot breath of the demon that's inside of them and then watch how I deliver them. When I heal someone, I want you to get close enough to the leprosy that you're going to smell the stench of it in their body so then you can see and smell the sweetness of the healing that I will bring to them. In other words, this is going to be close. This is going to be involved. This is going to be participation. That is the idea that he speaks of here when he says, I want you to be an imitator. I want you to follow me, participate with me. Now, following Jesus always means risk-taking. It is impossible to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ and not take risk. Most of us, without realizing it, have what's called risk aversion. In other words, there is a certain place in anything that we will get to that we're like, I 
just cannot go any farther in this. This is too much risk for me. And all of us have got a different place in different areas of our lives where we have a risk aversion. We just get to a place and we say, man, I just can't go any farther. I can't take a risk any higher than this. This is way past what I am comfortable with. I'm treading on land right now. Uh, the old saying goes, I'm skating on thin ice. And ice sounds really cool this morning with this 90-degree weather we're having. But I'm skating on thin ice on this. I just cannot take this risk aversion. Folks, let me tell you something. When you follow Jesus, we just went into major risk aversion. When you closer you walk with Jesus and the more involved you get with him, the higher the risk aversion challenges are going to come in our lives. God is going to come to you over and over again, and he's going to say, I want you to do this, I'm calling you to do this, and you're going to look and you're going to see risk aversion all over the place. I don't think I can trust him on this. This is too challenging. I don't think I'm up for this. God, you were asking too much of me in this area. There's always going to be risk aversion. Because that's where faith comes in. The place of your risk aversion and the place of obedience, what connects the two? Faith. I'm going to go to a place I've never been before with Jesus. I'm going to be involved with him in a place I've never been involved with him before. I'm going to serve him where he's asking me to serve him, and I'm scared half to death, or I am intimidated by this, but I know that he is there. I'm going to trust his lordship, and every time I have found that I get comfortable in life, God says, comfort time is over with, it's risk aversion time, and you got to step out and trust me. I want us to look at a story where this gets played out, because the Lord's going to work in our lives so often like this. Luke's Gospel, chapter 13. Luke's Gospel, chapter 13, beginning with verse 10. Luke's Gospel, chapter 13, beginning verse 10. I've read the book of Luke for years and have skipped over this story and just jumped, saw it last night. I thought, man, this is exactly what I'm talking about, about getting involved here. Jesus is in the synagogue, Luke's Gospel, chapter 13, verse 10. When he says, imitate me, this is an example of what it means to be a follower of his and an imitator. Luke's Gospel, chapter 13, the beginning with verse 10. Now, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who had had a disabling spirit for 18 years. It's interesting that he gives us, Luke gives us the length of this disease, 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, I want you to see the verbs here. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. Now, get the picture in this story. Jesus goes into this synagogue on the Sabbath, and he begins to teach. It was very common in that day that if you were known as a teacher and you were visiting a synagogue, that you would be asked to stand up and give a teaching. And so there was nothing unusual about Jesus, known as a rabbi or a teacher, being invited to teach. So Jesus begins to teach in this synagogue. And he's teaching away, and he looks through the audience as he's teaching, and he sees this little lady. And this lady is sitting there, and she is all humped over, and she is bent over. Now, it is interesting in this story that several things do not happen in this story 
that set what happens up here. Number one, when this lady came in, nobody seems to have paid any attention to her. In other words, her being in the synagogue and being humped and stooped over wasn't anything unusual, apparently, for her and for that synagogue. Those people had gotten very used to her coming to the synagogue humped over. In fact, for 18 years, she had showed up there apparently humped over. So nobody really paid any attention to her. That was the way they accepted her condition. So it was just normal for them. Second, in this story, when she walks in and Jesus is up there teaching, by this time in his public ministry, he was known as a healer, claiming to be the Son of God, etc. She's different from a lot of the other people we find In other words, there are other stories in the New Testament where people seek Jesus out for healing, where they are pressing through the crowd to try to get a touch from Him. She doesn't do that. She comes in and she sits down and she doesn't try to get close to Jesus. She doesn't try to draw attention to herself. She doesn't raise her hand and say, hey, Jesus, could you heal me? She doesn't do any of that. Apparently, this condition she had been in for 18 years had conditioned her that she was in this condition. She would stay in this condition for the rest of her life, probably expected the condition to get worse instead of better. And so she just sort of accepted the position that she was in with no hope that it was going to get any better. And so Jesus is sitting there. Everybody's used to her being this way. No one draws attention to her. She doesn't draw attention to herself. She's used to being this way. And Jesus is teaching. Now, get the picture. Jesus is sitting there, and he's doing what he does. He is a rabbi. He is a teacher. He is doing what he had, came, he had come into the room to do, into the synagogue to do, teach. And out of the corner of his eye, he sees this little lady sitting there all humped over. He sees her, first verb. It says, Jesus saw her. When Jesus sees you, that's when your hope starts. How are we imitators of Him? When we start seeing people that we've gotten used to seeing, but we see them through His eyes instead of our eyes. He called to her. Can you imagine what was going on in the synagogue? Lady, you've been bent over for 18 years. Come over here. Well, Jesus, you're supposed to be teaching. Jesus, this is the teaching time. In fact, later in this story, one of the rulers of the synagogue gets ticked off with him because he heals on the Sabbath. You're not supposed to be healing. You're supposed to be teaching. You see, part of following Jesus is that when we follow him, we may be headed in one direction with one agenda, and it's a good direction and a good agenda. But when you're headed in a direction with an agenda and the Lord strategically places somebody in our path who needs his love and needs his truth and needs his time, we don't imitate him by saying, I'm here to do my thing. We imitate him by saying, the Lord just interrupted my plans, and i got to focus on what he's placed in front of me. 
And that's what Jesus did. He said, I'm not just here to teach today. I'm here to heal. This lady needs to be touched by the power of God. It may not be the day when people expect the power of God to be displayed in this way. It may not be the agenda that people showed up for this day in the synagogue. But today is her day, and she's here. And God put us together in this moment, and the Lord is going to show up and do something. So he calls to her, and she comes over. He saw her. He calls to her. And then, notice what he does next. He speaks to her. And when he speaks to her, he speaks his healing power into her life. Verse 13, he lays his hands on her. He walks literally into her misery. And he touches it with the power of God. And healing comes to her. Now, how do we imitate the Lord? We imitate the Lord Jesus. We follow him by being sensitive to who God places in our lives and saying, God, I'm going to be there and I'm going to be sensitive to what you're doing. And when God interrupts the schedule, when God shows up in ways we'd anticipate, we move with the Spirit into what God has for us in that moment and in that place. And then what do we do? We say, God, would you take me and would you use me? Notice it was a woman with a disability. People with disabilities make us nervous. They make us uncomfortable. We don't know how we're going to approach them. We don't know how we're going to step into their lives. We don't know what to expect when we do step into their lives. And often we feel inadequate to step into whatever disability it is that they have. And do you know something? A lot of people God's going to bring across our path have got a disability of some type. And a lot of people that God brings into our church's path are going to have disabilities of some type. The largest unreached people group in the United States today, the largest group of people that are not in anybody's church, has nothing to do with skin color or economic and social background. It is people with disabilities. People who have disabilities of every type, whether they're physical disabilities, emotional disabilities, etc. They're the largest group. Why is that? Because so often we get totally overwhelmed. We don't know how to minister to people. We're intimidated, etc., etc. Notice what Jesus does with this lady with disability. He looks at her. He notices her. He takes into her account. He treats her like she is important, like she has worth. She has value. She counts. Then what does he do? He says, come on over here to me. He speaks to her. And then he brings the power of God and the love of God and the time of God to her life. And that's the whole key that Jesus is looking. That's what it means to be an imitator of him. He says, be an imitator how? As beloved children. Why does he say that? Because what do children do? They find their security in their parent. And what he's saying here is, if you find your security in me and in my love, then folks, we will not be intimidated and overwhelmed by the challenges that God brings to us. I am sufficient in his love. Notice where he takes us next in verse 2 of Ephesians chapter 5. He says, walk in love as Christ, as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. We give out of the abundance of what he's done in our lives. We give and we imitate him as Christ loved us. Now, he says, do that as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Notice the first part of that verse, and walk in love. The idea there, again, is lifestyle and habit. Walk in what? Walk in love. The Greek word there is agape. It means commitment. In other words, it's his type of love. Love out of his love. 
In other words, what he's saying to us is, I want you to love out of the ocean of my love. Don't try to love out of the pond of yours. A number of years ago when I was pastoring out in southwest Virginia in Galax, we had a drought that came through uh, that part of the state uh, for the better part of a year. We didn't get much rain, and ponds began to dry up. All of us are going to go through some dry spells in life. We're going to go through times when we just do not have the capacity to do what the Lord's asking us to do. And God's going to put some people in our lives that are going to ask, that are going to demand levels of patience from us and love and involvement that we just run dry trying to love them. What do you do when your pond dries up? You go to an ocean. That's what you do. Your pond's going to dry up. All of our ponds dry up. Some of you right now got people in your life that your pond has just about dried up in trying to love them. Some of you are thinking, my pond dried up a long time ago <laughs> that person. I wish I had a pond. I'd baptize them in and keep them down for a while until the bubble stopped <laughs> if, I, if I had that opportunity. <laughs> But you see, when, when our pond dries up, God says, I got an ocean of my love. Love as Christ loved us. Jesus loves us out of the ocean of his love, not out of the pond of his love. Love out of that ocean of what he's got. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 7, speaking of love, says this, Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. That's the ocean of his love. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. His love never ends. And out of the fullness of the Holy Spirit, which the book of Ephesians speaks to, that's how we love people. Now, finally, he takes it a little bit higher level in verse 2. It says, how do you imitate his sacrifice? How do you imitate him? With his sacrifice. He says, walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. How? A fragrant offering. The concept of offering is to bring something to someone. A sacrifice to God. Now, this is the concept of sacrifice. A sacrifice cost. A sacrifice is not a sacrifice if it doesn't cost us something. Sacrifice is not about convenient giving and convenient loving. A sacrifice cost. And so the idea that he's saying here is that he wants us to imitate him with what he refers to as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Now, the sacrifice is going to cost us. Two ideas here, combined in the fragrant offering and the sacrifice to God. First of all, if I'm going to imitate Jesus and I'm going to love people through just bringing an offering of love into their lives and a sacrifice, sacrificing to be there, whatever the sacrifice might be, when God calls us to do that and when God leads us to folks and we're commanded to do that, I do that not because of the person or the persons. I look at those people, and this is what I have to say, they have worth they have value and they have dignity because they are the product of God's creative hand. I do not say this. They have worth, they have value, and they have dignity because they like me or they agree with me or they're my kind of person or they say nice things about me. I don't, I don't look at them that way. 
One of the things I say to our mission teams when we're training them is, God calls us to love the person, not their actions. God calls us to love the person, not their actions. When Jesus looked at us, He didn't say, I love you because I have nice, ooey-gooey feelings about you. He didn't say, I love you because you're a nice person or you agree with me or you're religious or you're churchy or whatever. He didn't say that. He says, I love you because God Almighty created you and he created you with worth and value and dignity just because God created you and gave that to you and because of the worth and value and dignity you inherently have in you because of the work and creative voice and act of God. I'm going to go to the cross and I'm going to die for you and I'm going to sacrifice all that I am for you. So the first thing we're called to do in loving people is seeing them the way he's sees them and saying that they are the product of God's creative handiwork. Second thing, notice this is a fragrant offering and a sacrifice. And notice the last phrase up there, to God. See, folks, ultimately, when we imitate Him, what we do to reach people for Him, to love people and to love past people's actions and to reach out to them and to their lives, what we do is unto the Lord. It is to God. In other words, when Jesus died on the cross, He wasn't just dying for the people that were in front of Him and for you and I. He was ultimately offering up His sacrifice of what He did on the cross to the Father God. And when He loves us and when we imitate Him, we do what we do for Him and to Him. Now, one thing about this fragrant offering, why is it called a fragrant offering? They're hearkening back here to Old Testament in the Old Testament, when they presented an offering, they would burn incense with it, and the incense created this really nice smell. And the idea was that when God received the offering, it really smelled good to Him. Have you ever noticed how strong the sense of smell is? In other words, I could come in here this morning, and I could be dressed like I am, and I could look nice, but if I hadn't taken a bath in a week, when you walk up to me, you're not going to concentrate on what I look like. What you do, you're going to think about what I smell like. Right? I don't care how good I look. I could be in a tuxedo and you are walking backwards away from me if I am taking a bath. In fact, in my case, it won't even take a week. But you know, you're going to be walking in the other direction. All right? So this concept of smell is so strong. Have you ever noticed that if you associate a smell with an experience, that when you walk into that experience and when you smell it, you initially respond to the smell more than even to what you're say, seeing. That's the idea here that when we serve Him and when we imitate Him, it rises up before the Lord as a smell that He receives an aroma before the Lord God. Now, I want to say one thing about this part of this sacrifice and this aroma before God. On the cross... As Jesus gave the ultimate sacrifice, in that moment of his death and suffering, it was an aroma to the Lord God. It was a stench in the nostrils of the people who were at the cross. While he was being accepted before the Father, he was being rejected on this earth by the people that were around him. God's acceptance in that hour was met by man's rejection of him. When we live out this verse and we are imitators, God receives who we are and what we are doing. But often on this earth and in this life, we will receive rejection misunderstanding, 
etc. So be prepared for that. God's response and man's response are often exact opposites. What would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? That's the question. What would Jesus do? And the way we answer that question is we answer it by imitating, by following the Lord Jesus Christ and how we live our lives and the decisions that we make and becoming that living sacrifice that he talks about. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you this day for your goodness and your faithfulness and your mercy to us. And Lord, we want to ask that you would help us to imitate you. And God, as we we study the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, we want to ask you to help us to, Lord, ask the question, what would Jesus do? And Father, as we encounter people like Jesus encountered that lady in that synagogue that day, people often who have disabilities of some type, help us, Lord, to ask the question, what would Jesus do? Call them over into our lives. Get involved with them. Love them and help them. In your name, as an offering, Lord, not to them, but to you. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if you're here today and you've never given your life to the Lord Jesus Christ and chosen to know him and to follow him, in just a moment we are going to sing a song of invitation. And it is an opportunity for you to say to the Lord Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to belong to you, Jesus. I want to walk with you. I want to know you. And I want to invite you, if you will, to come to the front as we sing. And this day, I would love to pray with you about giving your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we give you praise this day for your goodness and your faithfulness to us. Help us now to respond to you and to follow you, whatever that means. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together.